Good morning, family. It's so good to see you this morning. We are on page 943 of the Shed Bible, if you have it. We are reading from the uh, Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 11 through 18. Page 943, Luke 1, verses 11 through 18. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. And he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Many of the people of Israel will bring, he will bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, friends. It's good to be with you. My name's Tim, if we haven't met, and I have the pleasure of being one of the pastors here. I also have the pleasure of driving a fair bit in my life. <clears throat> I log some miles, which means uh, I get some podcasting in. One of my favorites over the years, it's, it's, it's not like I listen to all, but occasionally, I'll, I'll make sure to catch up with uh, Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History. Gladwell's an author, writer, speaker, and he had this episode a number of years ago called The King of Tears, where he talks about what is it in music that gets our emotions engaged, that brings us to tears, and he talks to a number of songwriters and psychologists, and he comes to this conclusion that it is the collision of melancholy and specificity that when put together, move us at an emotional level to tears, where we see the emotional world of somebody with enough specificity and texture that we too know what that is like and are moved. And I think that applies really well to our text for today. This whole story, the beginning of the book of Luke, we often think of Luke opening with the Jesus narrative, and it does, but before it, we get something that sets the stage, this, this tale of Zechariah and Elizabeth and their son John, the baptizer, um, that comes on the scene ahead of Jesus. And I think we are invited to consider a few really important things that will move us forward as we begin this Advent season, as we look at this entire story. So if you're someone who has a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to keep looking at it. We're going to have much of this text of chapter 1 on the screen. I was informed this morning this is the most text we've ever had on the screen at Marcel Bible Church. So get ready. Maybe use the bathroom early if you need to. Um, and we'll, we'll, get, we'll, get, we'll get out of here, no problem. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. Hear these words. This is the time of King Herod. 
There was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Avijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both well advanced in years. Something jumps off the page to me as someone who reads the Bible often. We get a glimpse of these two characters, both from the tribe of Aaron. Zechariah is a priest, and there's a sentence right in the middle that says, both of them are righteous. Now, the Bible's about righteous people, unrighteous people, whatever, but what this is telling us, what Luke is telling us right from the beginning, is that, number one, Zechariah is not a Sadducee. He's not part of the corrupt Sanhedrin. He has been holding to the way of Yahweh for a long time in the midst of cultural uh, worship of all these other things, allegiances with Rome and the Greek world. He's holding on. But something I love even more than that is it says both of them were righteous and then immediately follows it up with something in the ancient world that most would consider a point of shame, that they were unable to have children, that Elizabeth is counted as righteous as an individual. I love the egalitarian nature of what Luke is doing here. As if setting the stage for the story, saying that, you know what? Her righteousness, her standing before God is not tied to her ability to have children. And I think what the author is inviting us to consider, that we can put ourselves on on an equal playing field in our approach to God here, that our ability to do anything is not tied to how God sees us. So often, I think many of us approach through these doors and what's on our mind as we approach God is the things that we can do and what we can offer and what we can be. And this story tells us right from the beginning that has nothing to do with your righteousness and standing before God. Your marital status, your family status, wealth, education, you are righteous because of who God is and not because of what we bring. So that's where our story starts. And it continues now in verse 8. Once Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of the incense uh, came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, quick word about what's happening, where it's happening. We're going to go to the temple in Jerusalem. we got a little drawing here of kind of the inner part of the temple inside the, the court of the Gentiles and the court of the Jews. There's these walls. Um, you see an outer court, inner court, and then we have a porch with some steps. And then there is a holy place before you get into the holy of holies. What Zechariah is doing is moving into that holy place, into the, the heavier presence of God to light an light the incense, which represents the prayers of the people, the longings of the people before God. Now, not everybody got to do this. There were thousands of priests. Zechariah's division gets called in to serve, and then they would cast lots to see who gets chosen for this once-in-a-lifetime privilege to go in and light the incense. Um, Zechariah knew his name would be taken out of the list once this happens. It's a one, one, once and done. 
And so this is a big deal. And he knows very well what's happening. He is bearing the people's prayers before the Lord in the holy place where traditionally there have been meetings with God. Extra biblical scholars note many times in the Jewish priesthood where there had been an angel or a messenger or God's voice would meet a priest in the holy place. He knows this. So he goes in and he has an encounter. Verse 11, you can leave, leave the picture up there, Nick, it's great. When an angel, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, as angels do, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. So we have this encounter And what we get in the text is that when the angel appears amidst all of these signs that you see in the text, right? So in there is the menorah and the shoe bread table and the altar of incense. And this is, um, this painting is from 1800 um, in Britain. But what the thing that it doesn't quite get right is actually the angel, the text would be referring to the angel on the Lord's right side. So he'd be flipped from where you see um, Zechariah. Gandalf or whoever's in there, um, there, <clears throat> which is important because uh, the angel is tied to the, to the light of the menorah, which puts us squarely in this Advent season. Anyway, and the angel appears, and what does the text say? It says that Zechariah was startled and gripped with fear. So much so that he asks this question later on that we'll get to, which seems almost out of place. How can I be sure of this? He's he's not well. And for those of us who've been looking at this text, knowing that he's prepared his whole life to get this call, to go into the holy place where people encounter God, he seems surprised that he encountered God. It's as if he, he just didn't expect this to happen. And who can blame him, really? He's been doing this for a long time. He's never quite heard the stories, maybe, of someone who's encountered God in this kind of way, let alone an angel. These things don't happen anymore. They seem to happen in the Greek temples and the Roman uh, sacrifices. But maybe not here anymore. This was the period of silence where they're waiting for Messiah that just seems farther and farther and farther away. So he shows up in this holy place where people go to meet God and he seems surprised to meet with God. And so I wonder what this says to us. And I think maybe one of the convicting or encouraging words from this text is that the story of Zechariah And Elizabeth, invite us to raise our expectation. To recognize that when we show up, not just on a Sunday morning, but to other places where we pray and praise and gather, or even our personal time of prayer, that God wants to meet with you. I will confess that I will be the first to sometimes come into this room in the morning thinking about technicalities and to-do lists, things that just have to happen and not have my attention and eyes raised to the possibility of a God who has and will encounter God's people. 
We, like Zechariah, are called into the holy place amongst the holy people to be encountered by the living God. So examine your expectations. Is your horizon of possibility too low? There's all sorts of reasons, really good reasons, why it probably is. And I think this text immediately invites us to raise our hopes and raise our eyes to encounter the living God who desires to be in communion with his people. You and I. Nobody signed up for Christianity to come and just sing songs and shake hands. You and I each come with burdens and desires and pain and joy and hope in need of healing and transformation. We are in need. And so show up in need. It is an amazing safety mechanism that I see play out in our parenting and with other people and even in myself. It's just safer to have lower expectations, to not be disappointed, to not be hurt. But the first personal invitation of this text is to raise your expectation. Psalm 16 reminds us that in the presence of God is fullness of joy. So come ready to encounter the presence of God. And if that's the word for you, hold on to that and examine your expectations of what you have for encountering the Lord. And let's be a people of expectation. I would much rather pastorally have multiple conversations of how it doesn't seem like God is meeting my expectations than to simply pastor a church that just does a few things and keeps going on and doesn't lift our eyes to the one who changes and redeems the world. Let's be a church of expectations. For even those are not as grand or as good or as wild as what God has planned for his church. So the text continues, as Susie read, this son is to be called John. And he's not supposed to eat or drink all these foods. He's going to be consecrated for the Lord. And at the end of this, he says, this child will make people ready and be prepared for the Lord. So in verse 18, we get this curious question. Zechariah asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? Now, not only has God encountered Zechariah, that's what he came for, the angel says, God has heard your prayer. And instead of Gratitude, overwhelm, humility. He says this. Like, what? Like, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Again, his expectation is not high. He is standing in the room that gives visual, auditory, and uh, whatever smell is, whatever that thing is, uh, the incense, testimony to God's faithfulness and God's power. And still ask, how, how can I be sure of this? Because he's asking a question of immediacy. 
in the face of God's faithfulness. He wants to know exactly how and when. And isn't that like us to encounter a promise of God and be like, well, I, I don't know, how, how exactly is that going to happen? Because it hasn't happened. And how's that, that going to go down? He asks this question that we too would ask. It's a question of control. I want to know how this is going to be. I need to know. And so, the invitation here in the face of this curious question then is for us to not seek security in certainty in the face of God's blessing. He has the word coming from the Lord inviting him to be known and heard, loved, fulfilled, and he asks a technical question. Now, I love technical questions, but this is not quite the space. It's as if he's recoiling. I don't really want to give you my heart, my expectations, my hope without knowing a few more details. He's asking a question of security and certainty. And that's an invitation for us to consider as well. But then the angel strikes him speechless. He's unable to speak. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and tell you about this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day that this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. It's easy to see this as a punishment. But it's not. I think what God is doing here is offering a formational opportunity to Zechariah. Knowing full well that he can't fully comprehend and understand all of this, but instead of punishing him, he says, here's the invitation to be silent. You are limited. You can't know the answer right away because you can't, you can't dialogue about this. You must be silent. And so in the, in the face of his immediate questions, I need the answers right now, right now, right now, we get an Advent invitation to be still, to be quiet, to be patient, even if that's not our preferred mode of being. Kyle alluded to it with the kids earlier. Happy New Year, right? Advent is the new year for the Christian when I think New Year, I think we got to get some stuff done. Like on January 1st in the, in the cultural New Year, I need to lose like 30 pounds by January 10th, save this kind of money, make these kind of changes, and be a better person. The New Year is brought in with expectations of me. And yet this is a very different shift in the Advent New Year. The invitation, invitation immediately is to stillness and silence and waiting, knowing that we cannot bring the change that's actually needed. So Zechariah is struck dumb. He cannot speak. So the invitation then, we'll go to a few next slides there, is to hold. Uh, is to not seek security in certainty and to ponder in faith. And then we get this another invitation. We scroll down a little bit. There's, uh, we'll go down back to the text, verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah right outside the holy place. On those stairs, the priests are praying and the people are gathering, wondering what's going to happen. Because remember, they sent him in 
to receive a word from the Lord. Seems like everybody knew this but him. Meanwhile, the people are waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. At this time, I'm sure he feels this is a punishment rather than an opportunity. Verse 23, when the time of service was completed, he returned home, and after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant for five months, uh, and for five months remained in seclusion. It's fascinating. He comes home, and I'm not sure how he is able, how he tries to communicate this vision with his wife. And one theologian thinks about it. One, one scholar says, you know, that, that maybe the miracle is that she's able to become pregnant. Or maybe the miracle is just that he's silent. And after dinner, he doesn't say anything dumb. Then they make a baby. <laughs> that scholar was me. Nobody actually wrote that. And I don't actually, I'm not, I don't think that's true. But he does communicate to his wife, this has happened. And they are able to become pregnant by the power of God. And this is where I think that the texture of the storm takes it to another level. After this, for five months she remained in seclusion. As a priest, Zechariah would have also had a long break after his temple service, especially after going into the Holy of Holies, or the, not the, into the holy place. So I'd imagine them in their home for five months, eventually realizing that she's pregnant. And for months and months they stay in the home, knowing that this promise has been fulfilled, and yet I imagine that they are so scared. Do we tell anybody? Do we dare? Will they think that something else happened? Some other witchcraft? Did one of us sleep with somebody else in some sort of illegitimate surrogacy? Maybe they'd been a couple who'd had numerous miscarriages and disasters. And they have this precious hope. And so for five months, they stay at home. I wonder what it's like to have that kind of precious, fragile hope. That you would hold on to it. And that kind of stillness, out of fear and a sense of the sacred, nobody else needs to know. And I wonder if you two have something of hope right now that just seems so small. A possibility of a future, of healing, of hope that God has given you that just seems too fragile to take out into the world too wild or audacious to even share with a friend. And so, beloved, this is a chance to know that we are able to hold that in the presence of God, in the secret place, and that is blessed. I love to share good news. Our world celebrates people who just say things without thinking, you can get real famous real quick sharing news. In fact, back in my younger dating years, I was like Buddy the Elf. I'd be like, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. 
And so when I met this beautiful young woman named Allison, she's sitting over there, I didn't want to tell anybody. I didn't want to mess it up. This thing felt so real and really so possible that I didn't dare tell anyone. I would speak with God in a way that only I could because nobody knew. And I was able to experience an intimacy with the Lord with whole heart because it was just something I met with God about. And I would imagine that if you search and pray, there is something in your life that God wants to speak with you and only you about. They can open up, and may seem small, but open up an entire world of relationship and growth with God that's to be held for you and you alone. We see this in the Psalms, 91. The blessed are those who abide in the secret place, in the shadow of the Almighty. That word shadow of the Almighty in Psalm 91 is the same shadow that overshadows Mary. A few verses later, something new is given life to. What is that for you that God wants to meet with you in the secret place and hold on to and give you hope? Now, back to the the dating story. My friends were like, hey, who are you hanging out with? And I was like, just a friend. You know, she's from Canada. Uh, Eventually, I know what's her name. And I was like, Sherry? Uh, and I was making mac and cheese, so I was like, Sherry Craft? Which was well and good until some of those guys were also youth group leaders who were volunteering with Allison at her church where she shared a prayer request about this new guy she's dating named Tim, only then they realized that that's not Sherry and it almost blew up totally. But it was fine. It ended up coming clean. It was all good. Anyway, just, just hold that thing to yourself. It's probably going to be better. Story continues that Elizabeth and Zechariah have great joy. She responds, not like her husband at first. She says in verse 25, The Lord has done this for me. In these days, she has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. God is at work in the story that she never thought would end. It's brought to an amazing conclusion that she never could have imagined. The Lord has done this for me. Then the text takes a break and we move over to Jesus and Mary. uh, And Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. It's really beautiful. And Troy's going to talk about that a little bit next week because these stories go incredibly well together. The visitation of Elizabeth, Zechariah, and that of Mary. We pick up the text in verse 57 of chapter 1. It's entitled, Birth of John the Baptist. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. The neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. So they go to the temple, and this is verse 61. They say to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name John. Why would you name him John? Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child, as if the mom, seriously... She just said his name's going to be John, and they're like, well, let's ask the guy who can't talk, right? I'm glad we've come a little bit farther in some things. Anyway, so they ask him, and he grabs a, uh, 
Okay. They were made signs to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John, which his wife just said. Right? Some of these things, you read them, and you're like, wait a minute. You go to the temple to encounter God, you encounter God, and you're surprised. She just said John. You say John, they're surprised. Right? So this is happening. And then, but then... Immediately, the text says, his mouth was open and his tongue was loose and he began to speak praising God. If I was Zechariah and the baby was born and I couldn't talk, I'd be like, hey, we made a What the heck? We, we made a deal. Or, well, you made a deal with me. And yet he has to wait eight more days. And I wonder if there's a season that you are in like Zechariah's that just feels like nothing, I can't make it. I thought that was the finish line. I thought this was the finish line. I thought this was going to be it. And yet he has to wait until this moment. And then the blessing comes. Maybe there's a connection there for you. And so it does. He begins to speak praising God. Um, and then what's interesting is that people have question. When it was time for, uh, go to the next slide there of the text. Uh, the neighbors were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all of these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. There's a curious question. And here's what's fascinating. In the face of a question, Zechariah responds his father, talking about John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied, praise be to the Lord God of Israel because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Salvation from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant and the oath he swore to our father Abraham. He speaks praise to the God. He speaks to God. He speaks testimony over what God has done. And this also is curious because if somebody's asking these questions, like, who's this boy going to be? There's people around, and Zechariah opens his mouth, and this comes out. I think they are wondering, what in the world are you talking about? Because I saw that a baby was just born, but you're saying that this is the horn of salvation, salvation from our enemies, deliverance from those who hate us. And Zechariah continues to pour out praise and prophecy that God is doing a new thing. And I'd imagine the people are in disbelief. And here we have our final reversal. Just as Zechariah was in the presence of Gabriel, the messenger from God who even says to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak this news to you. The story ends with Zechariah, who is a priest, who stands in the presence of God speaking good news to the world. News that he could not have spoken at the beginning of this story. Both Elizabeth and Zechariah carry something, nurture something, and eventually give birth to something into the world. One, the prophet John, and the other, this prophecy of praise that Zechariah could not have spoken earlier. In the great reversal, he is now the answer to the question he asked. It's as if the last invitation that this story offers to us is to allow God to bring us through something so he can speak something through you. Zechariah could not have prophesied and praised in this way. 
had God not done this work in him over the past nine plus months? Maybe the question that we have before God is, how can this be? How is this possible? I don't know what you're talking about. How can I be sure of this? Maybe what God does in response is not a direct answer, but forms something in you over time so that you can speak that answer, the answer to that question, not only to yourself, but to the world. That the question that you're wrestling with and living in right now has bearing on something greater than your life, that you are meant to be formed as a person who can give testimony to this question, to the glory of God at the end of the story. And all this happens, the big churning of the souls that gives birth to praise and birth to the prophet at the end of the story happens in silence and in the solitude of their home, of their hearts, and their communion of their souls. And so the invitation at the end of this, maybe the answer to the question, how can I be sure of this in this text It's to wait for God alone in stillness and in silence. For that is the Advent invitation to take our questions and our hopes, the things we would dare to believe, and to hold them in stillness before the Lord. And trust that in the right time, the fullness of time, as the text would say, that the word, the testimony would come forward, that the blessing would come from God. And our job in this moment, the invitation at least of the text this week, is to sit in stillness and in silence and wait for the Lord so that God can do something inside of you that will be a testimony of praise for eternity in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and to the glory of the Father. Let it be that the hope inside of you is nurtured in dialogue with God to come forward at the right time to be a part of what God is doing. In Jesus' name, amen.